The Gist is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up for a no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer when you visit Stamps.com and use the promo code THEGIST. And buy Casper, the online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash gist and using the promo code gist. It's Wednesday, February 18th, 2015. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. You know, there's never been a really good rap lyric about Jarlsberg cheese. Have you ever noticed that? And Run Around Sue, great song, but it's a little slut shamey, isn't it? And you're... <clears throat> And you ever know? <clears throat> oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, Mike's thoughts being interrupted by a little throat trouble here. Well, let me turn to a mid century Midwestern senator for a solution. Everett Dirksen, one of the architects of the Voting Rights Act and civil rights legislation, was known as the Wizard of Ooze because of his mellifluous speaking style. How'd he get that style? I now quote from Jonathan Rosenberg's Kennedy Johnson in the Quest for Justice, the Civil Rights Tapes. He writes, The sobriquet, love sobriquets, derived from the mellifluous speaking voice he had perfected after years of gargling with a blend of ponds, cold cream, and water. And in his most recent book, An Idea Whose Time Has Come, Todd Burden adds the following fact that Dirksen swallowed the solution. So now to honor Everett Dirksen, <clears throat> get my voice back. I will now mix ponds with water, gargle, and swallow. So first you will hear an archival tape of Dirksen. Then you will hear me gargling a solution of ponds and water. Then I will swallow. Then you will hear how I sound. It's only the tide rolling in. I have never had that beguiling experience before. Ponds plus water. Ah. On the show today, I will return to... It sounds good, right? All right. I think it's just how Dirksen spoke. But if you don't believe me, we have a vine up of me doing the cold cream. It's not that bad. I do think it could help. Anyway, on the show today, I will return to the time of Dirksen and the depiction of that era in modern film, Selma. We'll specifically talk about LBJ's depiction. And in the spiel, the publishing industry is not through with Seuss. But first, to the Wayback Machine via the Dream Machine. Getting your mailing and shipping done can seem like a no-win situation. You've heard of the win-win and you've heard of the no-win. I think it's more of a win-lose, right? Like the win is that it's done, but the lose is the process of doing it. So I'm going to turn this no-win or win-lose into a win-win by telling you about Stamps.com. Stamps.com is the better way to buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your desk. You get discounts, win. You could win up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Right now, you could use the promo code the gist for a special offer. It's a no-risk trial. It's a $110 bonus offer. You win a digital scale and up to $55 in free postage. So go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist. That's Stamps.com. Enter the gist for the win.
The film Selma is one of eight nominees for Best Picture, but the nominating process of the Academy Awards drew a lot of attention for not including any of the film's fine performers or the director, Ava DuVernay. Perhaps the film's chances were hurt by complaints that its depiction of Lyndon Baines Johnson was inaccurate. Here from the film is LBJ, played by Tom Wilkinson, speaking with Martin Luther King as portrayed by David Oyelowo. We want federal legislation granting Negroes the right to vote unencumbered. Well, um, that's fine, but most of the South is still not desegregating. Let's not start another battle when we haven't even won the first. This voting thing is just going to have to wait. The discussion of the film's historical accuracy has gone through a few phases. So first we heard from acolytes of JFK and historians saying that's not right. And then there was a backlash or a corrective where many film thinkers thought to point out that historians were being overly didactic. They made the case that film and actual historical accuracy have different purposes. But I do think there are certain misrepresentations or shortcuts that cut into a film's power if they conflict with fact. So joining me now is Alvin B. Tillery Jr., Associate Professor of Political Science at Northwestern University. He wrote, Who Disagrees with Selma's Portrayal of LBJ, Blacks in the Civil Rights Era? He wrote that for the Washington Post. Thank you for joining me, Professor. Sure. You know, there's this raging debate about how much film has to honor history, not get history wrong. You know, how much uh, the tension between facts such as they are and fictional presentation. So as a historian, I'm sure you don't like lies or even uh, distortions. But as a moviegoer, what's your take on that issue? Well, you know, to begin with, you know, I'll say that I don't think that anyone wants to hold uh, movie producers, directors, actors, folks who are in the business of entertaining us to the same standards that uh, professional historians or academics want to hold uh, themselves and others to. But I will say that, you know, the kinds of distortions that appear in films like Selma uh, are really problematic for a variety of reasons. I mean, the, the basic arc of the story uh, regarding the interaction between Dr. King and President Johnson is, is wrong. And it's falsified for dramatic uses, and that's that's a major problem. It makes uh, the job that uh, I'm doing uh, in the classroom more difficult. My fear is that you'll have generations of uh, American uh, students coming away, uh, you know, misunderstanding uh, the interaction between social movement leaders and the White House in one of our greatest episodes of American history. So Mark Harris, writing in Grantland, put forth a couple arguments. And the basic uh, gist of his argument was that people who are nitpicking the film on historical grounds maybe don't understand the purpose of film. One thing he does is he quotes another critic saying, the only way to come out of Selma seeing LBJ as the movie's villain is if you expected him to be its hero. What do you think of that? I think that's nonsense, frankly. Um, You know, you can make a film about the heroism of Dr. King uh, and about the the other... uh, sort of important activists, John Lewis, uh, Diane Nash, uh, Reverend Bevel, uh, and also uh, give uh, President Johnson his due, particularly uh, in the context where there are 
essentially been three American presidents who have referenced the legacy of slavery uh, and its import to the condition of African Americans and extended that legacy to broader debates about class and inequality. Uh, and President Johnson is the only one to live in the modern era. And to do such a disservice to his legacy, I think, uh, is, is particularly problematic when we live in the shadow of our first African-American president. And on his watch, all of the great civil rights acts of the uh, modern era have been undone. So, you know, this is a particularly crucial time to get our facts straight about presidents and, and gauge, properly gauge the legacies. Was your reaction upon seeing the movie, Why Are You Doing This? Absolutely. And let me be clear. The movie is beautiful. Uh, it is a story that we already know or that we should know. So my critique of the, the treatment, um, you know, of President Johnson, uh, I hope doesn't portray me as an enemy of the film. I, I love the film. At the same time, it was a completely unnecessary move to distort the sort of legacy of President Johnson. What I found compelling about your argument is you came at it from a different angle where you came at it from a historical angle, what black thinkers at the time were thinking about Johnson. Could you tell me a little about that? You know, without Dr. King and uh, sort of President Johnson here to elaborate for us, all we can do is rely on the testimony of those who were in the room and those who were judging their work product. And my position from my research says that the African-American elites who manage these media outlets judge the work product of President Johnson uh, incredibly positively. When you look at the history of the American presidency and race relations, it's easy to see why he was such a favorite of theirs. But there wasn't exactly a, a strong field vying for the greatest president for uh, black America up until LBJ. Absolutely. And so this really is an important conversation. We, we've since had two Democratic presidents uh, that black public opinion is over the moon for, right? President Clinton and President Obama. And in terms of policy outputs, neither one of them compares to President Johnson. Johnson is the only guy to ever get anything done. And so if, if the civil rights struggle is over and it's just about movies, uh, then so be it. But I, I think it's still ongoing. And that's why this Johnson legacy is so important. He's the only president in the modern era to say that these problems are rooted in slavery and the legacy of Jim Crow. And he wasn't dragged there by King, the record shows. He didn't oppose King. He was as much a leader in his way as King was. The historical record, again, is all that we have to go on. And, and what I know from my read of the archives and from the read of the secondary literature is that immediately after the election of 1964 in December, President Johnson urged Attorney General Katzenbach to draft a voting rights bill that he wanted to send to Congress, you know, in the next year or so. In, in the entire period of 1964, President Johnson was authorizing Attorney General Katzenbach to continue to sue the southern states for interfering with black voting rights under the auspices of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So Selma is in March of uh, 1965, and so, you know, a full six months earlier, Johnson's already on record wanting to put legislation into the Congress uh, to do what the Voting Rights Act does. For me, it's not even really a debate. The history is very clear. 
I'm not a Johnson apologist. I was born, uh, you know, four years after the, uh, six years after the Selma marches. Uh, I'm an African American. I'm a lynching survivor. Uh, you know, so none of this, uh, you know, Angelina Jolie didn't cut me a check, right? Uh, the, the, the documentary record makes very clear that President Johnson was a strong advocate of black voting rights. Uh, what do you mean you're a lynching survivor? Uh, well, I, as a result of these civil rights uh, uh, policies and legacies, my family integrated uh, a neighborhood uh, in uh, New Jersey in the 1970s. And uh, as an eight-year-old going to second grade, some of the older boys in the neighborhood uh, decided uh, that they didn't want me there and uh, hung me in a tree to die. And fortunately, the bus driver was on time and... Uh, he cut me down, and, uh, and and here I am doing this work. And that's part oh of what inspires my work. Uh, as an eight-year-old? As an eight-year-old. Did they punish the boys? Uh, yes, they did. Yeah. Oh, my but God. But that's a different story. <laughs> that is a different story, but it's the sort of thing where you throw it out there, and I'm like, does he mean metaphorically? But no, you mean literally. Yes. I did yes. not know that. Yes. But would you say that among people who do what you do, is there or isn't there a uh, racial breakdown on their opinion of LBJ? And even if they haven't spoken specifically on that movie, would there be a real cleavage in opinion among historians about if this movie was accurate or not? I don't think so. My mentors, the persons that trained me, had a very accurate understanding of the Johnson legacy. And again, Johnson was no saint. I mean, did, you know, like every you know, white president before him, did he use the N-word? Certainly. Was he probably committed to some sort of white supremacist attitudes in his youth? Certainly. But by 64, the, the record shows he's overcome, you know, uh, uh, that in so many ways, right? And so my black mentors in this field uh, have historically regarded Johnson very positively. And then you have an entire set of, of white presidential historians who've regarded the Johnson legacy on civil rights very positively as well. You and I both, despite this, like the film. Was there anything in the film that brought a moment to life or made a point that got you to consider something in a way you hadn't before? Uh, something about how MLK strategized or dealt with his fellow leaders or anything else? Well, I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, again, I don't want to be hard on the film. I mean, because it's an important, important moment in civil rights history, and and the the cinematography is beautiful. But I mean, I really think the film did beyond the LBJ. I left thinking, my God, where's where's Ralph Abernathy? My God, why is Bayard Rustin uh, reduced to uh, you know a sort of uh, some sort of Hollywood uh, sort of Booker? Why is you know, Diane Nash, arm candy for common. Like, I mean, I, there were so many problems uh, with the film uh, that I think people aren't seeing, in part because they really, really want this film to win. But, boy, I mean, King looks like a naive, you know, sort of student leader instead of someone that's an active partner with the White House in this, in this film. And that, that, that bothers me. Alvin Bernard Tillery, Jr., Associate Professor at Northwestern's Department of Political Science. Thank you so much, Professor Tillery. Thank you so much. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Right? Normally I'd... With something like that. But, you know, maybe I'd actually do this. Because I'm just waking up over and over again. Why? 
maybe I'm not using a Casper mattress. But if I were using a Casper mattress, the line that's a little boring about Casper mattresses would put me to sleep gently, would put me to sleep, not permanently, but for like a nice eight-hour stretch. Casper, it's a great product. They combine premium latex foam with memory foam, but it's this is not a quality product play purely, though it is a quality product. This is a new way to think about a thing that you only get once every seven, eight years. Here are the Casper prices. $500 for a twin-size mattress, $750 for a full-size, $850 for a queen, $950 for a king-size mattress. You're getting an awesome mattress for less than $1,000. And it's all about convenience, because what you can do is try sleeping on this mattress. This is an actual offer. You get the mattress. You try it for 100 days. I'll do the math for you. That's three months. Any three months. Even three months in a row with 31 days. There are no sections of the calendar like that that I know of. Anyway, try this mattress for three months. If you don't like it, ship it back to them on them. Get $50 off any mattress purchased by visiting casper.com slash gist and use gist as the promo code casper.com slash gist. And now the spiel, oh, the corpses you'll rob. From the AP, more than 20 years after his death, there is still plenty of news about Dr. Seuss. Random House Children's Books said Wednesday it will publish a recently discovered manuscript with illustrations. The publisher plans at least two more books based on materials found in 2013 in the author's home in La Jolla, California, by his widow and secretary. The author, whose real name was Theodore Geisel, died in 1991. I love Ted. Ted was red, but Ted is dead. Ted is dead, so go to bed. You could read a non-Ted book instead. That's what I said, non-Ted instead. Get that notion in your head. No. No, she said, now that I'm in bed, I want a book by Ted. By Ted, not Ned or Fred, Ahmed or Zed. I want a book by Ted instead. He is not dead. You've been misled. Reports of his demise have been widespread. I want a book by Ted, she pled. Look, I sighed and shook my head. Ted is dead. He's very dead. His torso bled. His organs shred. His clothes were soaked. They turned bright red. No, she said, that's not what I read. I read the cancer spread. But then he traveled to Merced and spent a week in hospice bed and then was cured and away he sped. I looked out the window. What did I see? The slow, swaying branches of the poplar tree. It was so hard to explain to a girl of three the truth that Seuss was a fatality though she seemed to grasp the facts of oncology. Because even if Ted hadn't died then, today he'd be 110. It's an age not reached by many men, nor the whispering whip willa or the fluted flumpering hen. No, she said, in a speech that sounded canned, I don't speak of the man, I speak of the brand. His words will live on. Who will grouse? Not the readers, not the spouse. We can say she found a cleaning house. We'll find new books, it'll be fun. One or two million in the initial print run. Call it a dream, call it a vision. Just don't call it fraud or plagiarism. Everyone wins, no one will lose, except the legacy of Seuss. Everyone's happy, you will see. Just be sure not to mention Harper Lee. That's what she said. She wanted Ted, and then she softly went to bed. (laughs) 
And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi won't clog pores. Managing producer of Slate Podcasts, Joel Meyer, is suitable for sensitive skin, which is good because he always marks his territory by urinating, defecating, scratching, rubbing, and biting on trees. Apply executive producer of Slate Podcasts, Andy Bowers, gently to the skin. Wipe with wet washcloth and rinse if desired. You can listen to us on iTunes. You could go to slate.com slash gist email to sign up for our daily email. You go to Yo, download that app, and then sign up for podcasts. We're on facebook.com slash slate gist. That vine of me eating some ponds, that's available on our Facebook page. The gist, for external use only. If product gets into eyes, wash thoroughly with warm water. If the gist is swallowed, ask for a cloture vote immediately. Thanks for listening. I'm Hannah Rosen. This week on the Double X Gab Fest, we're going to talk about the new declutter guru, Marie Kondo. Does putting your house in order put your life and your past in order, too? Find out on Thursday's Double X Gab Fest. Look for us on the Slate store on iTunes or at slate.com slash podcasts.